You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is, I guess, what you would call season two of Socially Distanced with uh, Paxton and Justin. Uh, We have so many exciting things in store for you this season. Uh, It's a new season because it's a new quarter here at UCI, and thus our our, uh, programming schedule has shifted slightly. And I'd say probably the most exciting thing that we have in store for you is a full hour of content. That's can you right. ra- Doubly can you- the socially distanced. Exactly. Can you even begin to wrap your head around that, Justin? Not at all. I literally cannot. I've never heard of an hour before. It is a frame of time that I've just never encountered. So I literally can't conceptualize what the show is going to be. Oh yeah, it's every time I I watch a movie and I get past the first act, which is roughly 30 minutes in, the whole thing becomes this sort of uh, blur that my brain can't really comprehend. Um, I have no idea what happens after Dorothy gets to Oz. It's all, it's it's too much for me. Uh, See, I'm actually, I'm like that guy from Death Stranding who dies every 20 minutes, just like every (laughs) half hour, I just kind of like blink out of existence and then I (laughs) back i'm like all right i'm for another half hour increment of being it's a wonder it's a wonder you've managed to keep your career as a ta running so long given that you have to teach classes that are sometimes upwards of an hour long oh did you not notice that at the 30 minute mark every class i just kind of like froze for a bit and then restarted yeah i would notice that you'd get that sort of glazed over look in your eyes and you'd have a sort of a blob of drool running down your face but uh we we figured there was we, we all this all the students figured there was a, a greater point to all that but i guess we learned something today uh anyhow this bit is idiotic uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh beyond that um yeah what 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 is looking to change on the future of this show uh i guess for those who are familiar with me paxton wright i never introduced myself this show so far but that's who i am uh uh, i had been the host of half past five every thursday at half past five for the last year or so now um i say had been because uh unfortunately my time at half past five has come to a close uh, frankly, having two talk shows got to be a little too taxing for me. And uh, much as I love Half Past Five, this show was sort of more consistently. I'm, I'm just I'm going for full transparency with the audience. Like this show was more consistently enjoyable and uh, and um, fun to put together. Not that I didn't have a lot of fun with Half Past Five, but you know, uh, a, a general back and forth conversation with uh, with your buddy is often much easier to set up and handle than a full-on interview with someone you may or may not know super well. So uh, Half Past Five is done, but I'm hoping as this show progresses, we can incorporate some Half Past five the elements so that its spirit may live on within us forever, uh, be that through possibly occasional... Um, guests and interviews on this show uh or possibly more radio plays and sketches definitely more radio plays and sketches uh those who are familiar with half past five have not heard the last of my adventures with co-host glenn um 
Glenn will live to fight another day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but here we are doing a full hour of socially distanced, whatever that means. And I look forward to it. As do I. Yeah. Um, I guess that, that sort of uh, uh, stipulation out of the way, we should um, carry on at least briefly with our conversation last week, um, which if you tuned in was much more frank and much less about, uh, yeah, two dorky white guys talking about video games um, <laughs> and much more about the bigger pressing issues of our time because frankly there wasn't really a whole lot of reason to discuss more um i don't want to use the word pedantic but uh uh trivial yeah. trivial matters um i was gonna uh, say frivolous trivial is good tri- yeah um you know frivolous trivial tomato tomato um but uh yeah last week wasn't the week to discuss that and i think now this week we can sort of go back to our usual format and antics but that doesn't mean that uh these uh issues aren't still going on and still developing and they should at least be discussed uh to some extent um how how have you how have you been feeling this last week uh i mean overwhelmed generally by everything i mean just on like a personal level it was a very busy week you know it was a finals week so i had a lot of grading to do and i had a paper to write but then also just um yeah still still but like you know to like speaking to the news of the world and like the ongoing uh, kind of uh, black lives matter protests and all of that i've been well by necessity of being very busy just kind of disconnected but still you know, going online and seeing, seeing a lot of like really, you know, great stuff. Like there was like a, a huge rally for black trans lives in New York. Something like 30,000 people showed up. It was amazing. But Hollywood like just, had a huge one too. Yeah. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood had a massive turnout. I don't know if it was quite to New York's level, but it was also, uh, it was, it was substantial. I think it's been estimated that it's, it's the largest one they've had so far since. Wow since the George Floyd incident, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna drop any false statistics, but I, I believe that's that's what I've gathered. Yeah, there's been um I mean the the thing that I keep hearing that I'm not sure is like entirely accurate because I, I just like I don't watch much T V news because I don't have a cable like cable T V hooked up. Uh, is that there's been like less coverage of the protests generally despite despite the fact that really it does just seem like the the size of these uh, the size of these gatherings the size of these uh, protests is really increasing if anything you know yeah yeah I think that is that is one of the interesting and uh, at once heartening and disheartening things is that it's heartening to see that these protests have not really died down that they continue they continue going and they uh, have it really doesn't seem like the size has decreased much. And if anything, yeah, it might be increasing even. Um, and so people are still being heard and people are still, still um, uh, uh, fighting for this. But uh, on that same token, there has been what appears to be a decreased focus by the media uh, on these protests. Um, it seems like the figuring by so many was that like oh well they they charged the three officers and uh garcetti's cutting funding to the lapd what more do you want it's over this the, we we did it we saved the day 
moving back on to COVID. And it's like, no, that's a, a good step in the right direction. But saving the day requires sweeping nationwide, f- frankly, in many cases, global reform. Um, I mean, like, I'll say for me personally, saving the day is nothing short of abolishing the police. And, <laughs> but so in that, in that sense, the day will probably not ever be saved. But yeah, like that's actually I, I do kind of want to step in and ask. But are we even moving back to COVID? Because yeah, yeah, I think I've really seen things are like co- loosening, though in a way. Well, I've seen a lot more media coverage on COVID, but I've also seen a lot mm. more cavalier attitudes out and about in the real world towards COVID. I think the media coverage has spiked because there has been this growing apathy towards the severity of the situation. Yeah. Um, that's why you've seen like the spikes in Florida, Arizona, I think Oregon, California. I mean, like that's why you've been seeing all these spikes is because people, things are opening back up. People just want to pretend it is over and are, are just sort of biting the bullet on it. Um, which, uh, a terrible idea. Don't do that. But people, people are gonna people, you know? So I, I don't know, but I have noticed, I have noticed a, I have noticed an increased media shift toward COVID. Mm. Um, granted, there has also been, there is going to be the, you know, chasing the big red ball that, that media outlets are always want to do, like spending uh, several days uh, goofing on Trump walking down a ramp weirdly, which granted is a funny video, but kind of the least pressing issue right now. <laughs> I heard about that and like didn't even bother watching that to be totally honest because I was just like yeah uh, sure he's, he's weird he's a weird bad man what more needs to be like yeah it's I yeah it's like we know he's a weird bad man yeah exactly, like, exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I don't need another like video affirming that you know? right like, right he used two hands to drink his water what <laughs> like haven't we been having these conversations for the last six years now like are we not done are, are we not gonna focus on the more actually heinous things that he's doing right now oh no okay all right um yeah like it's like there like there's that one and we, we keep doing this with trump in a way that i find like very kind of distasteful where like the things that get like called attention to are like basically certain ways in which his body is like kind of deemed abnormal i guess like there was that one like statue in like 2016 of like him naked or something and the the point with all of these things like some of like some of the things i think are like genuinely like okay like the drinking water with two hands or something like that like maybe that's tied to a certain frailty that i'm not aware of but like that to me reads as weird but then there are like other things about like yeah okay he walk strange or like is kind of overweight it's like yeah but he's also horrible in ways that aren't <laughs> anyway oh yeah it's just like this it's like these like things that are meant to be these critiques that even that never actually land with like what the what the real problem is and if anything kind of divert us from not just like the serious things but like the things that you know could still be mocked in ways that you know i think that render him ridiculous but are tied more to his awful morals and the general like the generally terrible things that his uh, administration has done i don't know anyway that's just it's a minor quibble but um 
but yeah, I don't know. Just like in the wake of everything else kind of going on. And I mean, this is um, not a thing I want to spend a ton of time on, but I do just want to mention like the, like the, like the, the newest death that got a lot of uh, media coverage was um, that of, uh, I think I just saw the name, uh, Rayshard Brooks, who right. died in Atlanta. And okay, this is a, this is a show about media consumption. One of, I think like the, the bits of media in the broadest terms that really got my attention this last week was the notification that I got on my phone through Google News about that, which basically said something to the effect of man who was seen running from cops shot at a Wendy's drive-thru. So like, or like, you know, found dead at a Wendy's drive-thru. Like it was this like, you know, we're, we're very used to now the language of like, quote unquote, officer involved shooting. Like this, uh, this language in these, uh, you know, in, in media coverage that basically just completely like, uses passive voice in a way to suggest the fact that cops shot someone, but to basically, to kind of obfuscate that as much as possible without- Frame it as an incidental lying. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like, you know, there was a shooting and an officer was involved, which we know means the officer shot a guy, but not necessarily. But like this, like notification I got, just the headline completely obfuscated that, like completely like removed any like, in any like causality uh, like any like re like really just disconnected police from this thing. So like I read I read it and I like it was not actually immediately parsable like uh, yeah parsable to me that um, he was killed by cops and I was just like this is it's wild to me that this is still happening and I think like the fact that like you know news stories are still being written in that way like it's like it's things like that that really signal like no there's still work to be done because there is still this. Uh, there is still an apparatus uh, that is creating headlines like that. Like there is still like some kind of like general like editorial pressure to write stories and frame them in that way. And like that really, that, you know, still happening suggests that there is just an immense amount of work to be done. Yeah. Um, and uh, sorry, did you want to? No, it, it it raises a question though that that I I am sure there is a pretty cut and dry answer to it, but it's always kind of confusing to me. Is uh, obviously like one of the most um, pressing and troubling uh, issues of the modern day media cycle: the twenty four hour news cycle, the uh, uh, me, uh, news being uh, driven by clicks and Facebook shares, et cetera, et cetera, um, that every story needs to, to grab and it needs to reaffirm biases, uh, and it needs to, it needs to be the story that you click. Um, it needs to be the story that you share, even if it's just the headline that you see that, that makes sense. I, I get that issue. What is confusing to me are issues are, are media outlets that, are catered to supposedly progressive reform that still use that kind of language that use that that language of office officer involved shooting um when of, of course you're gonna see that kind of language of something like a fox news or an oann or something like that or a, a breitbart infowars whatever uh on, from from outlets that are 
consumed and shared by people who do actually want police reform or police defunding altogether, it seems strange that that is still the language that is pushed. I, I, I'm confused as to what the end goal is with that. And I agree, I'm saying you're right because I do see it there too. But I don't, I, I, I am wondering what the, if there is a cut and dry answer to that uh, or what said answer, what, what leaning in that answer looks like, you know? I mean, and I don't want to put anything forward that's like really kind of like a broad sweeping generalization. But I do think that, well, I guess to kind of like ask, like what, um, what outlets are you referring to, I guess? I, I refer, I mean, I refer to most, I, I, I mean, you see that kind of language in things like, of course, CNN and MSNBC, which are driven also by clicks, et cetera. Um, but even, yep. to, to, even to more respectable outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, that yeah, that language is still is still seen. I, I that's why I feel like I get some of my some of the best, like some of the best journalism I see anywhere right now is from the New Yorker, which is not even strictly a news source. It is it is more broader stories about specific issues, something like a Last Week Tonight or a Sixty Minutes. Um, yeah, well, um, and I would say. Well, I would say for something like WAPO and the New York Times, like some of their reporting is quite good, but also like the New York Times just ran a piece by Tom Cotton that was like sending oh, yeah. the troops, you know, like there is a, um, and like WAPO has a really, and like New York, the New York Times and WAPO both have like very conservative, like not entirely like across the board conservative, but like pretty conservative editorial sections, you know, like and opinion writers. And WAPO's got like close ties to Amazon and Bezos, doesn't it? Am I, I, I think they might be owned. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't want to say that, but it's, yeah, it's something like it's real close. And the, if memory serves. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I might be, I might be wrong about that. I might be misremembering, but um, yeah, like the thing is these, these outlets, uh, the, the way that I would probably address uh, that question, Paxton, is that, Really, I think that a lot of these outlets are liberal in the in the sense of liberalism as a mainstream ideology in the United States, which is to say very strictly capitalist and generally reformist at best. And like, really, uh, these are outlets which are not actually antagonistic in any meaningful way and in like a structural way. Uh, to police. And so I think like there is a, a vested interest given, I mean, sometimes given uh, corporate interests, but also just like ideologically, like, I don't think there is an inherent opposition there. Like, I think like they, um, they, along with like a lot of like, kind of like mainstream, uh, you know, liberal news sources, or, you know, like outlets, which are run by, you know, uh, by editorial boards, which are, you know, vaguely liberal. Um, yeah, like their interest is in reform and their interest is in a kind of like not stoking like public animosity toward police. Hmm. And I think like it's, um, and like language like that being deployed, it really kind of like, it sets a sort of, in terms of like the way that outlet like wants to kind of like set the tone of possible like political action. I think it, it it tends toward a, yeah, it tends toward a kind of like a dulling of 
the um, it just it's wording that intentionally stokes less anger. It you know it doesn't. Um, it's become a kind of like journalistic norm as well in the reporting of these things. Like it's like a very, it's weirdly a very radical position to take just to like assign blame with active voice to a police officer in a shooting like this. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's like a mixture of kind of adhering to a, adhering to what has become an established norm and, and adhering to that norm, setting a kind of like tonal, uh, limit like setting a kind of like a limited boundary for the radicality like the kind of like implicit like uh, the bounds of radicality for the readers of that outlet I guess would be the way that I would um, put that if that makes sense no it, it does I, I I think you're right and I think I pretty much I mean I did know all that to some extent but I guess I hadn't really truly pieced it together um, it's disheartening. I mean, so much, so much of everything is disheartening right now that like still some of the most reputable and trusted sources that you can turn to, um, still have those, as you say, uh, uh, yeah, I think at best reformist as you, as you put it, um, uh, agendas is I, you, you want more. And yet there's such a, the some of the most progressive voices that you can find are typically still on Twitter and on social media and are not vetted, do not have editors in chief. They do not, it's, it's just sort of people kind of spewing rhetoric and even some of the smartest people can spew idiotic things on those platforms and vice versa. And so it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it is kind of, you, you are, are going to, it's going straight to the horse's mouth when you're on social media. And in many ways that is, that is how th these protests really uh, got the momentum they got. Like it, if it, if we were just purely reliant on the word of uh, CNN, uh, would anyone even know George Floyd's name? No. And that was, that was people taking to social media and then, and then soon after taking to the streets in order to, to, uh, to, drum up that outrage and drum up uh where we're at now um so but it, it but at that on that same token uh i think there's still something dangerous when you don't have a pure go-to uh just purely unbiased vetted news source uh i don't know if that exists anymore oh yeah no i i like I agree. I agree completely that the solution to these things is never turn to people on Twitter because normal people are terrible too. And they're terrible in a lot of like really fun, exciting ways that you oh can't boy, anticipate. And like, that oh you, boy. Yeah. Um, and so, and yeah, and, and like, I, um, that really is the thing is like, I don't have, a good answer for like who do you turn to like what news sources are completely trustworthy or like which ones can you turn to to get a basic sense of like the way things are happening and what is going on and i mean i mean my question is my question is definitely rhetorical and more more spoken with the air of someone uh 
standing at the edge of a cliff shouting into the void like where can i turn to but so uh, yeah. of course i don't i don't expect you to have a uh well you can try this outlet like because <laughs> that that again if i could try x outlet i would have already you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah no definitely and it's um but yeah but it is just really disappointing and upsetting isn't it Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, disappointing and upsetting can uh, really describe all of 2020 and most of 2019 <laughs> and most of 2018. And uh, I mean, I can I can go pretty far back with this. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that was a fun note. Want to talk about video games and Twin Peaks? <laughs> uh, you know, I I do. Yes, I think just. For the for the sake of not depressing our audience, I think we should. Uh, yeah. Let's shift gears here. Let's shift, let's shift a little bit. Uh, let's actually before we do that, let's. Uh, do you want to take a brief break, real quick, and then we'll we'll come on back. Uh, yeah, sure. That sounds good to me. Cool. All right, then we will be back very shortly, ladies and germs. Sorry, I said ladies and germs. Stay tuned. <laughs> everyone this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine you're listening to Socially Distanced I am one of your co-hosts Justin Kiever and with me is Paxton Wright the other co-host is what everyone calls me even my parents (laughs) 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 Uh, they've called me that well before I've been on the radio too that's a man it it can, you can you can you can view that with a, de- a depressing tone, or you can view it as a, a child prodigy. You know, you can you can take that in another direction. Who knows? Just, you know, took took you into their arms. You know, when you were just a baby, just born. They're like, he's going to be the best color commentator. He's going to be the best second voice. <laughs> Someday he will take the world of local public radio in the greater Orange County area by storm. And when he's they, 50, just people will hear him talking about a basketball game, and every time they'll go, that voice sounds familiar. I don't know his name, but he sounds familiar. <laughs> Dream big, Justin. Dream big. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, okay. The first half of the show ended up, you know, being a bit uh, more, more somber in tone because the world as at large has been somber in tone uh, for quite some time now. But let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get into some fun stuff. Uh, We talked about it very, very briefly at the tail end of last week, but I would like to get more in depth um, 
I, a few weeks ago, ended up doing my first rewatch of season three of Twin Peaks, um, which aired on Showtime in 2017. And uh, golly gee, if that isn't quite, that season specifically, if that isn't quite possibly my favorite thing that's ever been on TV. I love it. I love it all the more the second time around. It's wild. There's a really good film blog that I used to read called Reverse Shot that I think they actually awarded uh, their best film of the year to Twin Peaks season three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's real good. It's, it's real good. I also think, uh, Justin, you and I both are uh, pretty, pretty uh, diehard Twin Peaks and by and large um, David Lynch fans on a whole. Uh, so I think if you are not familiar with season three, haven't watched it, and you have any desire to ever get around to watching it, you should probably tune out now, because um, I mm-hmm. I would like to get into spoiler territory on this. Uh, as would I, yeah. yeah. So seriously, if you've watched the first two seasons and have s- somehow not watched the Showtime stuff yet, stop listening. Go watch yeah. it. Bail. This is going to be not as good, I assure you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh but yeah, yeah, it ha- it was, I, it, so it caught me so by surprise the first time around. I think it caught everyone by surprise. Uh, I watched the first two seasons of Twin Peaks back when I was in high school, which was, God, like 2013 now. Oh my God. Uh, but hey, I just, gra- you, what? I graduated high school in 2011. You shush. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. We, we can, uh, you know, it's, uh try and keep up old man uh <laughs> uh yeah so no it was back back in high school was when i first watched the original two seasons um and absolutely adored it and watched uh the movie Firewalk with me um and uh was definitely perturbed by Firewalk with me but also adored it for uh different reasons than the show yeah, uh, Fire Walk with Me is the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's um, up there. It's uh, like I, I watched it at a at a friend's house in Durham. I actually, I uh, think I, pretty sure you watched Twin Peaks before I did. Like I don't think I actually touched it until after college. Um, like after having it be like recommended to me forever. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll probably end up talking more, uh, about Fire Walk with Me because I think Fire Walk with Me is actually a really kind of like it's a key transition moment for the series. I mean, it's a transition moment that comes about like, what is it? 20, 24, 25. Well, it's like 25 years, but like, didn't, didn't, uh, well, the 20, the I'll see you in 25 years line is in season two, isn't it? Yes. And so that would have been about, would have been about a year after that, that uh, Firewalk with me came out. It was one or two years after season two. I don't quite remember, but yeah, it was shortly Um, thereafter. But anyway, so like, I mean, Fire Walk with Me ends up being this kind of like big, like stylistic and tonal shift that sort of, I mean, for me, kind of informed what season like. It's like the, it is the text that you need between season two and season three to kind of like orient yourself towards season three. Oh like. yeah, I mean, it's basically like uh, this is a terrible analogy that I'm that I'm working on right now, but it's like I I guess think about if between. Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm when you got a prequel film uh, wherein like uh, you learn about 
heinous acts of murder and violence and degradation committed at the hands of George Costanza um, and, and watch it all go down. Um, I view Curb Your Enthusiasm as being the same universe as Seinfeld. I just view it as George got rich and moved to LA because more, and then started saying the F word. Uh, there really isn't a ton of difference there, but this is, we're not talking about Seinfeld this week. Uh, but that is sort of what Firewalk With Me represents is it takes this uh, sort of, uh, hokey not not hokey in a bad way but but more kind of wholesome fun weekly whodunit mystery that despite some certainly uh horrific elements and implications of really uh devious and uh despicable acts having taken place off camera the original first two seasons of that show by and large are basically appropriate for the whole family um again it centers around i i would argue that like yes it centers around a murder it centers around dark dark subject it centers around a murder that was that uh followed um weeks months of horrific psychological torture and trauma um but it it sort of dances around it when i say the whole family i mean more like ages 12 and up um is okay yeah. yeah yeah i don't mean like you can bring little jimmy bobo six years old and to sit down and watch it after spongebob but but uh i don't please don't name your child little jimmy bobo <laughs> i i cannot discourage that enough um but but uh uh yeah it, it, then the movie firewalk with me takes this sharp left turn because it's a prequel and it goes very explicitly into that psychological and physical torture that was only sort of briefly touched upon in the series. And you see it all go down. And it's basically two hours of watching a good person, Laura Palmer, who is sort of like the series epitome of all things good and pure in this world, just be destroyed psychologically it is two hours of watching a person just be destroyed and then eventually killed i think the thing that's really impressive about firewalk with me uh, is that it's doing everything that you said but it's um is a testament to laura palmer's strength too yeah like uh because yeah like she's going through just like this horrible psychological torture and physical torture at the hands of a uh I, we're, we're getting spoilers started, you right? can say spoilers, it spoilers a a demon who has possessed her father and it uh and yeah but like the, the film is very much about the ways in which she deals and copes with that and like survives when she is completely alone and it's really um so yeah like i think that's like the thing that like the that the film really gives to the first two seasons of the show is that it takes this character who is like, who is very much everything that is, you know, like she is this like generalized representation of what is good in the world. Uh, but also like we find, you know, like we find out about like her, her dark side or whatever as the show goes on, but we like come to see that that dark side is this like, uh, the, this dark this dark side that she has to her is the way that she's able to deal with this like tremendous struggle that she's been like having to cope with and it's like a very it's very effective as like it's very effective she's a really great hair 
heroin and it's also absolutely horrifying oh, um yeah. but um but anyway sorry i didn't i didn't mean us to uh go on a uh, fire walk with me for this long so season three like tell me about tell me about this like what was um what stuck out to you what do you want to talk about in this yeah season? I think the thing that is so interesting about season three to me is so the, the yeah circling back to where I was going earlier was uh, when I watched the original show and I watched fire walk with me and then I heard they're making a season three and that it was going to be on showtime and it was just going to be helmed by David Lynch and Mark Frost and no other writers. I knew I was like, okay, this is going to be much more in line with fire walk with me than it's going to be seasons one and two. And yeah. Anyone who doesn't, who isn't already aware of that going into this, is going to be in for a rude awakening. <laughs> um, like, and and boy, I I, I was right. Um, but even then, despite all that, Firewalk with Me is still a two-hour film that it serves as a prequel to the original show. So you're still focusing predominantly on the original cast with a few added characters. Um, and a few added elements, but by and large, you're watching a pretty tried and true sequel to uh, prequel to the original show with Firewalk with Me. Uh, season three takes place 25 years later, and basically co- covers the idea that that demon who uh, uh, corrupted Laura Palmer's dad has now uh, uh, expanded its reach and its influence. Um, and it's sort of cronies, I guess you can call them, to at least across the United States. You never really go outside the continental U.S. except for one point when you go to um, when you go to uh, there's one quick scene in Argentina where they there is an implication that that influence has expanded even further. Um, so a lot of the show in a show called Twin Peaks takes place in South Dakota, takes place in Las Vegas, takes place in New York. Um, it, so much of it is, is across the greater, uh, the greater United States landscape. And because of that, it is this show that is also so deliberately, uh, it's, such a, it's a hard show to talk about because I've been talking about this show nonstop practically for the last three years since it aired. Uh, <laughs> driven my girlfriend up a tree many a time with (laughs) with my ramblings on it um but it it is this show that that so deliberately goes out of its way to withhold uh withhold much in the way of fan service um for people who are fans of the original two seasons but it's done in a way that isn't it isn't, um, it doesn't feel like a cynical FU or anything to fans of the original show. It still feels like it is catered to those fans and it is catered to, uh, and still is a love letter and a testament to those original characters. It doesn't feel like it is turning its back on the original show or that it is deliberately trying to be unfaithful, but it's, it, it is a show that also seeks to make so many greater points about how the world has changed in 25 years um because twin peaks was always a town that was like stuck in the past part of twin peaks's charm was that it was this town that was sort of like the the last safe haven for uh you know quote unquote you know good old-fashioned american values um and which is why it was a town that was so 
rooted in like 50s aesthetics and Americana and kitsch. And now we see Twin Peaks in 20, 2017 when the show came out. And you see that it is, no, it's, it's pretty much caught up now. Twin Peaks is, is filled with uh, Mazdas and for and like and ford fusions and hyundais and it's and uh, most of its old watering holes are are drying if not completely dried up uh it, it is this town that has it, the town has been forced to get with the times and so by way of that you see this show that was once all about good triumphing over evil and all about uh you know the the fight to maintain proper values uh it seems like that fight has maybe been lost uh, and uh and i think like per um the conversation that we had was it only a week ago man um yeah. whew, uh, <laughs> like uh i, I still kind of stand by my like my my well yeah the read of twin peaks which i think is a pretty like uh accepted read that like i think really like having twin peaks season three posit that like that battle has been lost i think is very in line with like seasons one and two which uh basically suggests that well yeah i mean like the whole the plot line of the demon possessing laura palmer's father is reflective of the fact that like the, that those very values are like there's this kind of there is a darkness and evil a kind of monstrousness that is like, you know, taken deep root within those. And that that is in some way like crucial to those like proper American values. And like in Twin Peaks season two, you know, ends with, uh, it's like ends with the, the introduction of the evil doppelganger of the, uh, you know, of the hero Dale Cooper. And yeah. So I think like there is a, so really in some like kind of like there's a pretty big stylistic break and also yeah like this massive expansion of what Twin Peaks is but also like I think like a very kind of like clear uh like I think a very clear thematic through line that has stayed remarkably consistent um and that's like a big part of why I think season three works really really well um besides it just being just really aesthetically daring and wild and funny and tragic and all of these like you know other kind of like vague uh, adjectives i could throw out for it um, you could describe it with any number of genres and adjectives and it falls in line somewhere uh i think one of the things that i really i think adore about that season and one of the reasons that it is so profoundly important to me is because it represents something that everybody wants to do every artist and creative person and writer whoever wants to do and are virtually never afforded the opportunity to do which is make something that is just a like raw uninhibited personal expression um even my favorite shows like tv dramas of all time that i think are brilliant and profound uh you know be they the sopranos or Mad Men, whatever um they still have to adhere to a very grounded story that follows its core cast of characters where we see how they evolve with the world around them. Uh, they have their, you know, four or five act structures per episode. Like they still very, even 
they're brilliant. They're 10 on 10 shows, but they're still very cookie cutter because of the confines in which working under a network and producing television needs to be. Um, and, and just producing storytelling that is palatable and enjoyable, um, that they still have to work within those constraints. Twin Peaks feels like this thing that every writer wants to do, which is just like, it has so many points it wants to make and so many scenes it wants to go to and so much it has to say, and it's so busy and so excited to tell it all. And while that sounds on its surface, like when I say that, it sounds like terrible television. No one likes an overly busy story, but that's not what Twin Peaks season three feels like. It feels like it is this show that does have an overarching plot. It does know where it's going. Everything has a reason. Everything fits into a greater narrative. And yet it is comprised of so many vignettes that have micro points and micro statements within them. Uh, there are so many subplots and B stories that serve to create one small statement um, or one small follow-up on where those characters are going that yes, to a large extent does thematically serve the overall plot. But I think about like the fact that the show finally follows up and puts a bow on the relationship between Norma and Big Ed from the original series. Um, and it does it in a matter of two or three scenes. They're only, which are uh, Connie Britton's character. And I, I, I'm blanking on the man who plays Big Ed. I'm sorry. But um, their two characters were in a very, uh, uh, you know, sort of classical will they won't they relationship in the original series. And then in this one, we see finally the conclusion after 25 years is very satisfying. Yes, they will. But it's by way of, uh, of Norma having to leave her new boyfriend, who is this kind of, uh, uh, you know, big hotshot capitalist investor who has um, expanded her diner in Twin Peaks, which is originally just a one-off diner into like a franchise across the country. And, and so it is making this at the same time kind of micro point about, uh, about like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, mass producing with, with a calculated mass appeal, um, a product that is a labor of love of one person and sort of, uh, and sort of fighting against that. Um, and it's this sort of weird micro story that is very touching and very moving and very profound in its own respect that is basically told in these a couple of little vignettes in this greater overall story. And I think that is why that season, like it means so much to me in that it is like every scene is like a little short film and every scene can be art, like honestly enjoyed in its own respect. And the fact that there is a through line to it all, the fact that there is a, an arc to it all only serves to make it all the more satisfying. But for years, like this is my first all the way through rewatch since 2017, but since 2017, I will go on YouTube and just watch scattered scenes from the return because it is like watching little short films uh, that are, that again, shift dramatically in tone from scene to scene. You have really uh, goofy slapstick scenes to downright absolutely horrifying scenes uh, of, of pure terror. Um, you have uh, scenes that bring a tear to the eye, scenes that do all three at once. 
Um, and yeah. I can't think of an, I just can't think of another show or uh, frankly media product that has ever dared to do something so bold um, or not even so much dared has ever been given the opportunity to do something so bold. Like I think there, yeah, like that's actually a really kind of key part of uh, Twin Peaks season three is that it really, as much as I kind of hate the language of auteur, like David Lynch is kind of an auteur in that classical sense. I mean, it's like, he was given a bunch of money to basically do what he wanted for 16 full hour episodes. And like 18. that, um, 18. Oh my yeah. God, it's 18? <laughs> yeah, oh, it's 18. Wow. Ugh. Oh, that, that's too much. That's too much. No, take it back. It's terrible. That's what the Showtime exec said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I when I watch Twin Peaks, like I am primarily there for the horror in it, to be honest. Like I think like there is Same like- Same here, season three particularly, yeah. Yeah, and as much as I'm charmed by everything else surrounding that, and I mean, I'm there for, like, the, the weirdness, too, and, like, I, you know, am very smitten with Dale Cooper in a way that I think a lot of people are. He's the only good fed. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's this particular, there is a really particular kind of weird horror that uh, that just kind of permeates a lot of season three that is effective in a way that very little I've watched is. And like, that's really what I keep like turning to again and again, like the, the bits with the, like the woodsman, I think they're called woodsman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, a in episode eight, um, like Twin Peaks has always had really good, uh, scary poems. And, uh, there's a good one of those in that episode. This is the water. This is the well. Yeah. Yep. Um, drink full and descend. Uh, <laughs> I guess one thing I feel like, you know, we should talk about, uh, I'm not actually sure how much time we have left. I, I do want to ask, uh, about five minutes on, I really want to ask your thoughts on the ending. Yeah. I, I, I have never fully been able to, uh, to like verbalize my thoughts on the ending to this day, but I have talked ad nauseum about it for, three years i've talked ad nauseum about twin peaks season three on a whole and i still can't really give a cohesive uh uh can't make a cohesive point about it because there's so much to say about it which is the thing i love about it but yeah the ending which again i'll say spoilers one more time if you've tuned into this point i and you haven't watched that that's your own fault but it is what it is um the ending ends with uh dale cooper essentially crossing dimensions into an alternate universe uh wherein he goes to he's in he's in uh sort of rural nevada and he meets with uh laura palmer uh who is now 25 years old she has survived the incidents of the incident of twin peaks only she is going under a different identity claims to have no idea who laura palmer is no idea what twin peaks is uh and you also know that she has killed a man the circumstance the circumstances by which this has happened are unclear and never explained uh but essentially dale cooper explains that he is with the fbi and that he needs to take her back to twin peaks um in order to hopefully jog her memory takes her back to twin peaks uh and most of the episode the episode has very little dialogue in it the episode is mostly long extended scenes of of characters driving it is like a road trip movie with little dialogue 
Um, and one at like agonizingly long sex scene. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That too. Um, and, and they, yeah. So they, they make it to Twin Peaks. Uh, they arrive at the front doorstep of Laura Palmer's house, the iconic house from the series. Laura or whoever this woman is that is identical to Laura has still has no memory of it. Cooper knocks on the door, asks who's living there. And it's a, a young woman who answers. And she, I forget what name she says, but the name she provides is that of a woman who is an elderly woman from Firewalk With Me. Um, who has one or two lines in Firewalk Me, who is who is in her 70s, 80s at that point. Except in this scene, she is clearly much, much, much younger, but she claims to be the same woman. Uh, Cooper walks away from the door, asks that very iconic now question, what year is it? And Laura lets out her equally iconic Laura Palmer trademark scream, and then you cut to black. Um, so you now have that question of like, they have gone back in time. Wait, well, what What happened? What? Huh? And it's over and you are kind of left to stew in that, that question that is probably the end of Twin Peaks. Uh, you're, I, I find it very unlikely that they'll do more. Lynch has said never say never, but uh, I kind of have a hunch that that is the end of the series. And so it leaves you on this uh, very shockingly and bafflingly massive cliffhanger just like the original series left you on um and again i i love i love it simply because it is clearly done with this mind of like i don't care what you want this is what i want i being david lynch and mark frost um and i i like that boldness with the art but I would be lying if I said it was anything close to a satisfying ending. But I don't know if I'm upset about that. I, I can't fully put it into words how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, how much time do we have? Very little. Uh, yeah. Then I'll just quickly say I love that ending. And I think that um, there's a there, there's a very key thing that uh, you didn't mention in the summary, which is like in the moment before uh, Laura screams, we hear like a kind of distorted uh, voice that is Laura's mother saying like, Laura, and like you can just barely oh, hear yeah, it. Yeah, that's house. right. And that like, and like that detail, one seems to like activate uh, Laura's memory and also, um, and also kind of suggests Basically, it, it along with like the other like the particularities of like who that uh, woman is who's in the house and the names that she gives like her name and the name that she apparently the name of the person that she apparently bought the house from, um, like, like there is a uh, yeah like it's a cliffhanger but it's a cliffhanger that just like suggests failure so heavily that it's like it's really it's yeah it's disturbing in a way that by design you're not able to quite put your finger on and yeah i, I love that ending but yeah, yeah. No, we're running out of time so yeah uh yeah we'll, we'll wrap it up there i'll also like to say that uh listen ewan mcgregor did a fantastic job playing two characters on fargo no one's denying that but kyle mclaughlin played four characters that were radically different from one another 
that man was robbed of an Emmy. I will leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <Agreed>. <laughs> uh, uh, but all right. Well, that was our first hour long episode of socially distanced. And uh, I, we're way out of time. I nothing more to say. Um, anything you want to say besides the nope. usual? Nope. Uh, see y'all next week. See y'all next week. Bye-bye. Stay healthy.